We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ's likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. If you have a Bible, please open it to Genesis chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 4 through 17 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback black one on the seat in front of you. You can find this passage on page 2. It should be pretty easy to find in there. While you're turning there, let me just ask you, I don't know if you've noticed, but our world has a lot of order to it. And not just our world, but our, our entire universe seems to have some kind of order. You know, for instance... The earth revolves around the sun. And if it were flipped around, if the sun were revolving around the earth, we would all die. The heat would be too much. The gravity would be changed and we could not live. So there's a natural order to our universe that's very good. But it doesn't just affect big things like the alignment of our planet. It affects all of our relationships. Let me give you an example. Our family relationships have natural and good order to them. So so it's a good thing that mom and or dad goes to work to provide for the family, and it's a good thing that the baby doesn't. That's a good natural order to our human relationships. It's a good thing that mom and dad make family decisions instead of the dog. That's a good, natural order to our relationships. And yet this order doesn't just terminate on our human relationships. It also impacts our relationship with God. And yet in a broken world, that's most often where we fail. We we unalign our relationship with God. We distort our relationship with God. And by so doing, we are actually upending the order that the universe was designed to take. And so one of our duties and one of our goals in this life is to realign ourselves, to build back a proper relationship with God. And one of the primary ways that we can do that through his word is by thinking about how he relates to us as our creator. And so in Genesis chapter 2 today, we're going to read about when God created man. And there we're going to see that, that when we recognize that God is our creator, it radically changes our life. When we recognize that God is our creator, it radically changes our life. And we're going to just see three examples of that, three truths about who God is as our creator that radically change our relationship with him and as a result, our entire life. So Genesis chapter 2, hopefully you've found your way there. Let's read the passage, verses 4 through 17 together. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, 
for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat every tree in the garden, but... Of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let's pray together again. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we pray that you would make it fruitful in our lives. We pray that as we encounter your grandeur as our creator today, you would give us great awe at who you are. We pray, Father, that you would blow us away with your glory. We pray that you would teach us and show us that you are amazing. And we pray that as a result, we would worship you and thank you and trust you and obey you. It's for your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we read that passage, you may have realized that there's a lot of repeated details and events from Genesis chapter 1. And, and you probably hear a lot of people say that that means there's contradictions in the Bible because this story is told twice and it's told a little differently. We don't have to be disturbed by that. We don't have to be uh, uh, put off by that be, because the, when Genesis chapter 2 retells the story of the creation of man, what it's doing is it's just telling that story from a slightly different angle so that we see a more full picture there. So with that aside, three facts about our creator God and how they radically changed our lives. Number one, God created man. Number two, God cares for man. And number three, God commands man. So first, God created man. We see in verses four through seven, God's incredible power that he created, not only the first man, but the entire human race. Just let's look again at verses 4 through 7. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not yet caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. So let's just stop right there. Notice that in the midst of God's incredible design and incredible work of creation, there seems to be something wrong. There seems to be something missing because there's no man to work the garden and there's no water to water the garden. And so God wants his creation to be 
beautiful. God wants his creation to flourish, and yet something's going wrong. But realize God's response. He doesn't respond by being flustered or frustrated. He realizes that something's missing in creation, and that was his plan all along, and then he meets his own need because he's powerful. So there's two problems. There's no water and there's no man. And so in verse 6, God solves the problem. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Problem one, no water. Check, done. God does it. Verse 7, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Second problem, no man to work the ground. Check, God fixes it. It's done. He is powerful. He meets his own need. And so from the very beginning of the Bible, God is showing us his independence and our dependence. He's showing us his self-sufficiency and our insufficiency. Mankind is created from dust. Mankind, apart from God, is nothing. God literally breathes life into mankind. We are nothing apart from God. We have no life apart from God. We need to be amazed as we read this chapter because God invented mankind. He didn't say, you know, I kind of like monkeys, but I want to make them a little bit better. He didn't say chickens are cool, but maybe if they didn't have wings and were a little bit taller. He wasn't inspired by something else. He created out of his fullness because he is God and because he is amazing. And and people commonly believe that God created mankind because he was lonely or or because he, he didn't have anyone or anything to love and to be loved in return. And that view is, is biblically horrible because it, it portrays a low view of God where he has some need and he's not self-sufficient and a high view of man that we're somehow able to complete God. God didn't create us because he was, was lonely. God created us because he is awesome and we are not. God created man. God is the point, and man is the product. God is the point, and man is the product. Just notice the distinction here. We have a pile of dirt, man, and we have God who's breathing life into that dirt. One of those people is better than the other, and it's God. He is the mighty one. And so if we walk away from Genesis 1 or 2 with arguments and questions about science and about how the Bible relates to science, we're missing the point. The point is not to just think and debate about science. The point is to be amazed at who God is. Not because science isn't great, but because God is infinitely greater. Church, he is awesome, and we need to see that we don't recognize it, that apart from him, we are nothing. He didn't just long to bring us into existence. He brought us into existence from dust. Apart from him, we're nothing. And recognizing that God is our creator changes our life because we have to be amazed because this God is awesome. He is awesome. 
Number one, God created man. Number two, God cares for man. God provides everything that the man needs, not just to survive, but to thrive. Look with me in verses 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so in these verses, God is preparing a place for man to live. And notice he's, the, the text says two things about the trees. First, it says that the trees were pleasant to the sight. And number two, it says that the trees were good for food. So they're good for food meaning that they have fruit that we can eat and we need to eat in order to live. So God is providing not just for the beginning of our life, but for every second of our life. It's always a gift from God. It's always a sign of God's kindness. Every time we eat, it's a gift from God. Every breath we breathe is a gift from God. And the trees aren't just good for food. They don't just have this utilitarian purpose where they feed us and make us not die, but they're pleasant to the sight. They're beautiful. They, they're something that we can enjoy. God's providing for mankind not just to survive, but to thrive, to exercise dominion over the earth and to enjoy it. How kind of God. This glorious great king who created us out of nothing chooses to give gifts to us so that we can enjoy our life on this earth. He is good. And notice the, the center of this garden, the climax, is the tree of life, which we'll read later on in Genesis. When Adam and Eve eat of that tree, they will live forever. That is amazing. So everything that we have, even life itself, is a gift from God. And so, so those of you that are kids under the age of 12, you have a lot of good things in your life. And your mom and dad work very hard to bring those things to you. But God is the one that ultimately provides those things for you. And so when you eat dinner or when you play a game that you love or watch a show that you enjoy, that is a gift from God. And you can thank him for that. You can thank him for that. Because God is good. Recognizing that God is our creator radically changes our lives because we ought to thank God for everything. It's all from him. All of it. Psalm 16, verse 2 says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Whenever I find an absolute statement in the Bible like that, I like to turn it into a fill in the blank. So it says, I have no good apart from you. I have no blank apart from you. Anything good that you put in the blank is true. I have no life apart from you. I have no money apart from you. I have no food apart from you. I have no purpose apart 
from you. I have no family apart from you. I have no joy apart from you. I have no hope apart from you. Those are the kinds of things that make life worth living. And we find them most truly when we align ourselves with God as our creator and us as his humble subjects. We have to thank God because he is our creator who cares for us. The creator God created man. The creator God cares for man. Number three, the creator God commands man. You'll notice before we get to God's commands to man, we see verses 10 through 14, where we see all this, all this text and sentences and paragraphs about rivers. And that might be a little confusing that all that we're reading and enjoying and it's this awesome God giving gifts to his creation and then all of a sudden we hear this long paragraph about rivers. What does that have to do with anything? Well, it, it points out to us that Genesis chapter 2 is a totally historical narrative. This is not a creation theory. This is not a creation myth. This is not just a creation story. This is creation history. This is true. This is real. You'll read about these rivers in history books. Things like the mighty Euphrates or the Tigris. Places like Cush. We read about those places in history books, sometimes even on the news. These are real places because God is not just an idea or a theory. God is the God of this earth. God created everything. That's not an opinion. It's a fact. That's not a myth. It's history. God created everything. He is powerful. And he is real. He is real. Some of you don't believe that. Some of you don't believe that God is real. Or at least you live like it. What are we to make out of that? When we look at the intricacies and the beauty and the kindness even of God's creation, we might be left without excuse, as Romans 1 says. Because this couldn't have been an accident. It's not an accident, it's a gift. And even if you assent mentally and you say, yeah, I believe in God. God's a good thing, yeah, I'm pro-God. If you don't live like it, you might as well be denying him. And that's where we get in our third point, that God commands man. God created man, cares for man. Number three, God commands man. God demands total obedience from his created people. So look with me in verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You know, I like to think of God's commands like an instruction manual. 
When you buy a product or a game, it usually comes with an instruction manual. And an instruction manual is words from a product's creator to not just help you get the most basic functioning out of a product, but to, but to let that product thrive, to get the most use and benefit out of that product. Words from a product's creator to help us bring maximum benefit from that product. And the same is true of God's commands. Their words from a product's creator, words from the creator of our life, the creator of our race, that don't just teach us the basic functioning of life, but teach us how to thrive. Let me just explain that to you. Look, at, look again with me at verses 15 through 17. In verse 15, we see that God's commands gave Adam purpose. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So before, I don't know what Adam was doing. Maybe he was just walking around creation, looking at everything and saying, well, this is kind of neat. Kind of bored. But that's not how God leaves Adam. God gives Adam purpose and he commands Adam, work this garden. Keep this garden. Work. You have a job. You have a purpose. God's commands aren't just rules to keep you from having fun, but they're a calling, inviting you to be a part of his global kingdom. And so if you want a purpose for your life, begin by looking at the pages of Scripture. Not because it's going to reveal something miraculous to you, like move to Haiti and build an orphanage and, and, and lead 100 people to know Jesus. It won't say that to you, but it will tell you, love your neighbor. And that's an awesome purpose. God's commands gave Adam purpose. God's commands gave Adam freedom. In verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. You know, usually commands don't begin with you may. They usually begin you may not. But God's commands are not merely restrictions. God's commands are invitations. And often in our culture, we think about God's commands as if they were a straitjacket that were keeping us from having fun. Don't steal. Don't lie. Go to church. And God's commands aren't a straitjacket to keep us from having fun. They're signposts pointing to where real life and real hope and real joy are found. And everything else is just a shadow. Everything else is just a sham. God's commands are a beautiful gift to give us life. They're words from a product's creator, not just to get the basic functioning out of our life, but to thrive in our life, to get the most joy out of our life. God's commands to you, brothers and sisters, are not a burden, but a gift, but a gift. And so if you look to your Bible and you're like, love your neighbor, don't lie. Man, that's a lot of stuff to do. I don't really know if I can handle all that. I don't know if I'm really interested in all of that. You're thinking about it the wrong way. You need to think about it that God has given you a plan to say if you want to have joy, if you want to have fullness in this life, here's how. He's giving you the secrets. He's giving you the strategy guide. 
God's commands are not merely restrictions. Everything Adam needed was provided in the garden. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. What a gift. What a gift. And so every time you eat this week, how's that for an object lesson? Every time that you eat this week, because I think that we'll all do that at some point over the next seven days, and every time you do, with every bite you take, think this is a gift from God. And now we don't just have trees to eat. We have awesome things like burritos and tacos and, and pizza. And that's good. That's a gift from God. And we have to thank him for that. And that's God's command. God's command to you is that you may eat of every tree and pizza. And that's good. God's commands gave Adam purpose. They gave Adam freedom. And thirdly, they gave Adam life. Verse 17. So he says in verse 16, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. God's God's lavish care for mankind. You may surely eat of every tree, but, verse 17, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. So that's usually what we expect with God's commands, right? You shall not. Stop lying. Stop cheating. Stop cursing. But why does God give those kinds of commands? Why does God place restrictions on our life? Keep reading. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Why? For, for is a very important word in the Bible. This is, this is just for free. This is a tip. Whenever you're reading your Bible and you see the word for, you need to realize that God is giving a purpose for what he just said. He's giving a purpose for what he just said. So, so figure out what the cause and effect is there. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Why? For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God's commands give Adam life. God's commands, again, are not straitjackets to keep us from having life. God's commands are boundaries to keep us from danger and death. God doesn't just arbitrarily restrict things because he doesn't like us. God gives us commands because he loves us. God's commands are one of the finest expressions of his grace. Recognizing that God is our creator changes our life. We have got to trust God. Because if he's the creator of everything, he has the right to command us. He's allowed to command us because he created us. He sets the rules. He sets the agenda. He has the right. And so if we lived in a monarchy where the king ruled over everyone, no one would say, well, king, I don't think you're really allowed to collect taxes. No, that's the rule. He has that right. He's allowed. We have to trust God because he has the right to command us. He's the king but also he has the wisdom to command us. He created this entire universe. He knows how it works. He's not just throwing darts blindfolded. He knows exactly what will lead to the fullness of life. He knows exactly what will bring us to the fullest joy. You can trust 
God, brothers and sisters, because he is the creator of everything. You can trust God because he's the creator of everything. And our trust in God is not just a blind assent or a vague spiritual notion where we say, yeah, I trust God, that's fine. What's for lunch? No, when we say that we trust God, that trust has to be manifested, that trust has to be worked out in obedience. He has the right and the wisdom to command us because he is our creator. So recognizing that God is our creator changes our life. God created man. And we respond to that truth about him by being amazed. God cares for man. And we respond to that truth about him by being thankful for everything that he's provided for us. And God commands man. And we respond to that truth by trusting him and obeying him. This is the natural order with which God has created the universe. And yet if you've lived on this planet for any length of time, you probably know that things are not as they should be. Our world is radically broken. And the reason why it's broken is because we've, we've upended the order of the universe. Instead of honoring God as our creator by, by praising him and thanking him and obeying him, We've made ourselves the center of the universe. We've moved the earth to the center and, and demanded that the sun revolves around it. We've upended the order of the universe. We think ourselves are amazing. We think that we're self-made, so we don't have to thank anybody else. And we think that we're smart enough to know what's best, and we don't need some, some man in the sky to demand things of us. We've upended the order of the universe. Look, look at Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Romans chapter 1 is this beautiful, this beautiful speech about the glory of this creator God, but mankind responds to him in an unhelpful way. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We've all done that. We've all exchanged God's glory for our own. And the Bible calls that sin. But the Bible doesn't end with a distorted universe. The Bible ends with God himself coming to make things right again. And, and Jesus Christ, who came thousands of years after Adam was created, walked on the earth, and he always honored God not because he was less than God. The Bible says that he had equality with God, but he didn't consider it something to be exploited. And so Jesus honored God willingly and freely and joyfully. Unlike you and I, 
And Jesus thanked God for everything, unlike you and I. And Jesus obeyed God perfectly, unlike you and I. He never made excuses. He never had, he, he never had uh, shortcomings. He was perfect, unlike you and I. And then Jesus died on the cross, and he, he was being punished there, not just for his own crimes, because he didn't have any. He was being punished for our crimes, which are great and awesome and infinite, because we've sinned not just against one another, but against an infinite holy God. And then Jesus rose from the dead three days later. He really is alive. And now he's ruling and reigning over heaven and earth. He's restoring the order of the universe by calling people back to himself because Jesus forgives us of our sins. He took our penalty on the cross, paid the price, and then he rose from the dead to show that that payment was accepted on your account so that if you trust Jesus you will be forgiven. And trusting Jesus doesn't just mean coming to church and following the rules. It means knowing that as much as you could follow the rules, that would never be enough because you've sinned too much. You haven't honored God as creator. Jesus doesn't just forgive us. He realigns our relationship with God. He gives us a new heart so that we can worship and thank and obey our creator God. And that's the gift that we have from him. So if you're not a Christian this morning, if you're thinking that your goodness is good enough, it's not. If you're thinking that God doesn't know anything, God can't command me or tell me how to live my life, he can and he does because he created it, he invented it, he's smarter than you. So let's acknowledge him as our creator through Jesus. Let's come to Jesus and be restored to a right relationship with God where he is the creator and we are the creation recognizing that God is our creator changes our life. So let's worship him. Be amazed by him. Let's thank him. And let's obey him and trust him. We can't do that without help. And that's why Jesus came to restore the order of the universe. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for giving us the gift of your word. Thank you. Thank you for teaching us about yourself, for not just leaving us in the dark, but telling us who you are as the creator of all things and of our race. I pray, Father, that you would, you would just press that truth on our hearts, that you would make it clear to us, that you would help us to believe that you are God, that we are not. I pray, Father, that you would help us to believe that you are amazing. I pray, Father, that you would help us to believe that you're worthy of all our thankfulness and all our obedience. Father, I pray that we would be amazed by you today.
And I pray that we would all trust in what you've done for us through your son. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.